Guys, this should tell you exactly how long it's been for Amy. <laughs> because we understand where her mind is in this situation, not the, oh fuck, I've been losing time for, I don't know, weeks, months. Yes. That would be my biggest concern. Not potential sex. Well, I am chronically single. What can I say? I'm, I'm not defending myself. Let's go out on a date. Again, that is not a medical condition. (laughs) (laughs) Welcome to the Marvelous Madams Podcast. We're your hosts, Madam Chris. And I'm Madam Amy. We are burdened with the glorious purpose of talking all things Marvel. Madams, assemble. And welcome to our first episode on Moon Knight. Yes, and this is going to be an amazing series. Just from the first episode, we know that. Oh, yes. And this is a big day for us, guys, because today, while you are hearing this on April 4th, it's our two-year anniversary on the air. Yay! I mean, technically, are we on the air? Yes. If it's radio, that's not... Stop. You would have to ruin a moment with technicalities, wouldn't you? It's in my blood. What can I say? And not only that, guys, but we also just crossed 15,000 downloads. Give yourselves a round of applause. Thank you so much, everyone, for all of your support these last two years. We wouldn't be here without you. Yes, absolutely. I remember the time when we hit 1,000 downloads and we were so excited. (laughs) Yes, many moons ago. (laughs) First bad pun of the episode. Here we go. (laughs) I have a few lined up. So yeah, that said, everybody, if you could, you know, just give us a teeny weeny anniversary gift today and write us a review on Apple Podcasts or Spotify, we would appreciate it so much. Yes, indeed. All right. Now let's talk Moon Knight. I loved every minute of this. It was fantastic. But before we get into anything, I have one question for you. Yes. How much were you cringing during the cold open? (gasps) Not just the cold open, the whole episode. (laughs) But yes, I know what you mean. They threw us in the deep end of the ocean immediately. Yeah, you know, I came into this with no expectations because I know nothing about Moon Knight. And I saw this guy, like we didn't see uh, the, the actor's face first. We just saw their hands and he's taking a glass of water, putting it, drinking it. I was like, that's good. You know, taking care of himself, hydrating. And then that happens. That was painful. Yeah. And you know, he didn't need to do that. He could have just put some Lego in his sandals. Right? It might have been worse, honestly. (laughs) (laughs) And I was thinking to myself, as I'm hearing Annie Lennox in my head, I'm like, that one might have been too on the nose. (laughs) But yeah, so we purposely haven't done much comic research for the show we've gone into it cold really wanting to let this one evolve for ourselves and for you guys yes and we certainly learned our lesson from wandavision and if you guys are joining us recently do yourselves a favor 
and listen to our WandaVision episodes just to hear us lose our minds over the weeks. Yeah, this is going to be another tinfoil hat series, guys. So put them on now. (laughs) I'm also just so excited because I've always loved ancient Egyptian history. Big shout out Mm -hmm. to uh, Mr. Eights, my freshman year high school history teacher, who I highly doubt is listening or will ever listen to this show. Nonetheless, (laughs) he was amazing and really inspired that love. I used to watch ancient Egypt documentaries all the time as a kid. It's just fascinating. It is, but not those crazy ones, right? Like the aliens build no, the, real the ones. pyramids. I'm not Alex Jones. No, no. I mean, that was a thing. I mean, the History Channel went a bit cuckoo. This was in the 90s. Okay, that's yeah. fair. When there was still some integrity on channels claiming to be historical. <laughs> and we're going to talk about him plenty throughout this episode. Oscar Isaac knocked this out of the park. He's fantastic. He, you can clearly see, he's having a ball. And that British accent is the best I've ever heard an American do. Yeah, it's great. And God damn it, Marvel, we're sticking with that trend of great exposition through production design in very fun ways. And somehow they managed to keep giving us things we've never seen before. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And we will also talk about the music through this episode. Best of any Disney Plus series so far. Yes, I really enjoyed the music, especially when I recognize some of them. Seriously, if you can get me to listen to Engelbert Humperdinck in the shower, you've done something special. (laughs) And thank you for saying that name. I did not know how to say that. You're welcome. And we're also going to throw in a little Egyptian history here and there, too. Just some brief stuff. Mm hmm. We're definitely going to get more into that as the show progresses. Yes. So we do start off with uh, Arthur there, Ethan Hawke and his little, what should we call it? Sanctuary? I mean, a sanctuary is normally supposed to be a peaceful place. But I guess, I mean, if you're walking with glass in your shoes, nothing is peaceful. Well, here's the thing. What he was doing there, and I also don't think we should assume that was water. Okay. Because what he was doing was clearly at least to me, ritualistic. Yes. And I also think that at some point in the past, he and Stick were roommates. (laughs) Yeah, I wouldn't be surprised if Stick actually did walk around with glass in his shoes. Sneakers are too soft. Yeah. Put some pebbles in there. Mix it up. (laughs) So with this ritual, we can't be 100% sure why Arthur is doing this. Yeah. So he could be like one of those old-timey Catholic flagellants. All right, think uh, Paul Bettany in Da Vinci Code. Yes, I was thinking of that when I saw this, yes. Yes. However, there's another option. We don't actually see a trail of blood. Well, the blood could be collecting in the sandals. The first few steps will not leave that much blood. Maybe, but some. So... And also, if he has been doing this for years and years, his souls must have thickened, you know, calluses. Well, that's the question. Is he doing this because he feels it and he is punishing himself? Or is this some kind of show of faith to others or some kind of test for himself? Does he feel it at all? Does the glass affect him? That's an interesting point because in the comics, Arthur Harrow, he is a mad scientist. He's not in any way religious in the comics, but he does have 
a history of dealing with pain medication so that he doesn't have the same pain receptors or something like that. I'm not quite sure. Interesting. And I also found it interesting that in Jewish culture, breaking the glass in weddings is a thing. I don't yes. know what it means, but it is something that they do. And this was done in a similar way. You break the glass through a piece of cloth. Mm-hmm. That's very true. I hadn't thought of that. And mad scientist, I think, does fit for Arthur here. Uh, with that hair, that's the only thing you can be. Well, mad certainly fits. I don't think he's a scientist considering he's a bit cuckoo. Yeah, I'm leaning more towards holy man of some sort. Mad holy man? Again, with that hair, mad has to fit in there somewhere. (laughs) And you know, guys, we talk about potential crossovers with other shows and properties all the time. I think the one we need to understand for this episode is that Arthur and Loki do share a hairdresser. (laughs) Probably, but the hairdresser is certainly doing a better job with Arthur. Loki's hair is not something that can be tamed, just like himself. So we see Arthur heading off and we are thrown in to Stephen's apartment with Engelbert Humperdinck's A Man Without Love. Yeah, fantastic song. Oh my God. People, (laughs) all the lyrics matter. You see, I'm down the hole already. I'm too far. I can't even be pulled back. We are like 10 minutes into this, and I know you're supposed to have that rope around my waist, but I've cut it by now. I've I've gone. (laughs) Give it some time. I have some theories. Oh, boy. Oh, man. It's been so long since we played theory time. Well, not theories per se, but questions. Okay. Yeah, the the music, not only are the lyrics important, it's, it's brilliant how they've done this, but also the tones are mm-hmm. so great it yes. brings so much energy to the episode it does and not only do the lyrics matter but which version of the song they're using yep so steven seems just as confused as we are when he wakes up and not only sees the ankle chains but he looks confused just seeing his apartment i wouldn't say confused in this scenario i'd say he's looking around to see any clues whether he left Ah, maybe. You know, this is the problem when you have a really great actor playing these goddamn roles. Damn it, Marvel. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Because Oscar Isaac does such a great job throughout the episode adding layers of mystery and confusion. Yes. Now, I just know you love this apartment, don't you? Not really. It's a bit too messy for me. Oh, I love this place. Why? This is a book palace. Yes, books, yes. but. I'd like to clean it up a little bit. Sure. But there's no cat door. I could hide away from my whole family up there. They wouldn't find me for hours. (laughs) I thought it was interesting because to me at first, it looked like an attic. Like it looked like a converted attic apartment of somebody's house. But then we're going to see it's not. It's more like... um, It's an apartment. It is an apartment, but... The way everything was laid out, that building almost looked like it used to be storage lockers instead of apartments. Possible. Maybe that's just a London thing. I don't know. So Stephen has been taking all kinds of measures to make sure he doesn't get out of his apartment and also like ways to check to see if he has. 
Yes, we have the chained ankle. We have the sand around the bed, which, by the way, looks quite a bit like a crescent moon. Mm-hmm. And then we've got the painter's tape on the door. Right. One would say someone is a bit paranoid. Yeah. And I think he does have reason to be. Yeah. Yeah. He does. All right. So here's a question for you. Who the hell is Stephen actually leaving these voicemails for? Because it's not his mother. I was actually wondering about that. Like, is his mother dead? Or it's just some random person he's calling? Yeah. And does it even matter at all? I don't know. Because it can't be Stephen Grant's mother. Because Stephen Grant doesn't really exist. Well, here's the thing. So according to the comics, Mark Spector is actually the main person. Right. Whereas Stephen is uh, another personality. But legally, Mark Spector is the one who is the legal person, I suppose. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Whereas in this case, Stephen has a job. He's got an apartment. He must be having some kind of paperwork in order to get a job. So what if Stephen is the legal one and Mark Spector is the personality that takes over? I think Mark Spector would have the skill set to have set up Stephen Grant for himself in the past in his work, possibly as an alter ego alias. And that's who Stephen Grant is. Possible. That's how he has all the proper paperwork. Uh Uh-huh. Okay. That's fair. So he could have set up a mom for him. I don't think so. I think that's taken it a bit far. Could have given him a number and labeled it mom or mother or whatever. Yeah, in that way for sure. Yeah, because clearly in this episode so far, whenever he's speaking to his quote-unquote mother, it's always a voicemail. Yep. And the good thing about that kind of relationship is nobody can prove you wrong. You know, in his mind, Mm -hmm. if he's not getting any contact back, he can still play out that fantasy. True. Yes. So poor Steven, man, he just wakes up every morning feeling like he got hit by a bus. Yeah. Yeah. That sucks. Yeah. And man, do I relate to this poor guy because you don't have to be a secret superhero to wake up feeling like you got hit by a Mack truck every day. From, and I think Isaac did a fantastic job with this aspect of the character in this episode. From the ages of 12 to 16, I slept very little, very Mm -hmm. little REM sleep. It's one of the reasons I'm about five inches shorter than I was supposed to be. And I woke up sore and tired every morning. And each day was just like existing as a living zombie. It is friggin' awful. Yes, I've experienced that as well, but for a lot shorter time than that. And it is horrible. It is absolutely horrible not getting enough sleep. Yeah. So this poor guy is, you know, it's like a triple whammy of sorts because he's A, not sleeping, B, fighting like a maniac who doesn't know it, and C, has another personality that he's unaware of. Yes. And I'd say that Stephen by far seems to be getting the shittiest deal because Mark comes in, beats people up, and Stephen is the one who's tending to his wounds the next day. Yeah. And every day he wakes up. Yep. Don't worry, everybody. (laughs) Not going to subject you to my god-awful singing voice, but I am going to have this Engelbert Humperdinck song in in my head all week. I'm fine with it. Yep. Yep. Me too. 
And yeah, just as the song suggests, Stephen is indeed very lonely. Yeah. Too bad he can't communicate with his other personalities. At least he'd have some company. Yeah. Yeah. And just to be clear, that's Stephen with a V. Yep. All right. So now we get our first glimpse of the museum, which I thoroughly enjoy. Yes. I want to go to there. (laughs) Okay, Liz. One day. (laughs) I would happily spend the rest of my life going to museums across the world. I know what you mean. In this episode, Arthur talks about heaven and wanting to make Earth more like heaven. Heaven, for me, would be that museum at night, alone, just being able to tour it myself. No, thank you. I'd rather go during daylight. No, I mean, put the lights on. Put the lights on. Just leave me alone. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, that or a library. I've said this before. If the internet goes kaput, I would probably work as a librarian. I wouldn't mind working at a museum either. It's funny you should say that because seeing Stephen at the museum reminded me of another librarian and that's Rachel Weiss in The Mummy. Uh-huh. Because we see that Stephen knows a lot about Egyptian history, but he's stuck working as a gift shop clerk. And when we meet right. Evie in The Mummy, she is a librarian who desperately wants to be in the field working as an archaeologist. Mm-hmm. Right. And I do have to say, 1999's The Mummy is a guilty pleasure for me. I really enjoy that movie. The sequel is absolute garbage, but the first one's fun. (laughs) I've seen it once. I don't remember much of it. Yeah, I mean, to be fair, you give me a late 90s Brendan Fraser, I'm there. But it's a very fun movie. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. It's not boring, for sure. Now, this next sequence is a whole different kind of cringe. Than that cold open. Oh, I was just so nervous for him, not remembering that he or someone on his behalf asked out this this woman, this coworker. Yeah, and she's pretty. She is. Yeah. Yeah, I was, I was worried too, and I was like, Stephen, just just pretend like you know what you're saying. Just say yes, sure. But at the same time, I mean, wouldn't you be a little nervous if somebody is claiming? You asked them out and you had no memory of that? Yes, absolutely. But he does have a history of losing time, so he should just go with it. Guys, this should tell you exactly how long it's been for Amy. (laughs) Because we understand where her mind is in this situation, not the, oh, fuck, I've been losing time for, I don't know, weeks, months. Yes. That would be my biggest concern. Not potential sex. Well... I am chronically single. What can I say? I'm I'm not defending myself. Let's go out on a date. Again, that is not a medical condition. <laughs> <laughs> you know, for me, by now, I'm sure it is. <laughs> this uh, sequence is actually really important, though, because this is where we get our first hint that the DID issue has to be fairly recent. What makes you say that? Well, we know it wasn't Stephen who asked this woman out, but she only knows Stephen, so it seems. Right. She doesn't mm-hmm. know Mark. Right. So it can't be so long that people wouldn't see something wrong, you know? But at the same time, this means that Mark must be coming through at least sometimes. Because not only did he ask this woman out, but Stephen is a vegan, Mark is not. 
Yeah, but I would disagree with you on this being a short-term problem. I don't mean days. I mean a couple of months. Okay, even so, we don't know how much Mark has been coming out and playing during the daytime. (laughs) What a way to put that. Clearly, Mark is very skilled. He could be pretending to be Stephen when he needs to be Stephen. And people might not notice. Generally, people are not that observant. Whereas Stephen would not be able to pretend to be Mark. And the fact that clearly Mark has a bit of a soft spot for Stephen, that's why he asked this girl out. I can see you in the hole next to me. There you are. Hole? The rabbit hole, yes. Uh Uh-huh. Yes. Oh, totally. I'm down the rabbit hole. (laughs) I'm not denying it. I'm just trying to control myself. So we also see because of all of these issues he's having and that he's unaware of, Stephen is a terrible employee. Yes, he is. And his boss is not helping. Well, I actually understand her being so fed up with him because there's so much. Yeah, there's so much we don't see of him mm-hmm. he must yeah. be even worse than what we see and this has been going on for a while he's a known quantity there yes that's true i'm actually really glad they didn't make the boss sympathetic towards him especially because she's a woman uh-huh you know like it doesn't become a woman giving a free pass to a man who's bad at his job yeah sure that wouldn't work and plus he's quite annoying when it comes to the history because that's not his job he's not doing what he's supposed to be doing exactly he wants to be a tour guide and she shuts that down that's actually crushing to hear (laughs) yeah yeah i've been there well you can totally get where she's coming from like you're a shitty friggin' cashier and clerk you you think you're gonna be a tour guide it's refreshing in a way to see a man not get something that he has not earned, you know? Mm-hmm. Because how often do we see, you know, even within superhero franchises in the past, we've seen men just be handed things that they have not earned in any way. Yeah, absolutely. But this is also a trope of showing a shitty before life, before the transformation, be it a superhero transformation or something like that. Absolutely. And it is definitely a shitty life. He has no friends. Yeah. He is just existing from day to day. Pretty much. And existing miserably because you can see the makeup department has done a fantastic job with the dark circles and all of that. Yeah. He has a very sunken look because Oscar Isaac is a good looking guy. Yeah. But they they definitely kind of give him like a... Uh, It kind of reminds me of like what they did with Boris Karloff in the original Mummy, in a way. Uh Uh-huh. And the costuming helps with that, too. He just looks disheveled all the time. Yes, the hair makes a big difference, too. And we get some more great exposition here with Stephen's only buddy, his only confidant, the living statue. Okay, so here's my question. Is that a living statue or is that... Stephen's perspective he's speaking to a statue but he thinks it's a living statue oh it's a living statue because other people put coins in don't they mm-hmm. so why would other people put coins in if that wasn't a real person the only person who put coins in was when Stephen told them to put change in god damn it 
<laughs> because we can clearly see Stephen slash Mark slash unknown deep voice entity are by far the most unreliable narrators in this show. We cannot trust anything. Yep. I have that written down later. I came to that conclusion mm-hmm. a little too late, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And you know what might actually give some credence to that is because I fully expected this guy to come to life and be like, please don't come back. Or say something. Just yeah. something. Yeah. Like, buddy, get a life. Something along those lines. <laughs> I'm not interested. Yeah. And. I mean, he deserves more than just a role if he is a real person listening to Stephen talk all the time. Yes, there are people who really do that for a living. And I know the why is beyond me. Yeah, I don't know either, but to each their own. I don't I, I won't judge. It's fun, certainly, to see people like that on the road. And it's interesting. This scene is just h- hilarious and pathetic at the same time. It is. It is terribly sad. Half of me just wants to hug Stephen and the other half says, go to the doctor. What are you doing? (laughs) Doctor. I don't even like doctors, but even I'm saying go to the goddamn doctor. You know, this made me feel like if lockdown would continue for a couple of more months, I would be in his position. (laughs) Like at this point, dude, I don't care if it's a podiatrist. Just go. (laughs) (laughs) Which doctor would specialize in relocating jaws? Orthopedist? Perhaps. Dentist? Maybe. Or plastic surgeon? I don't know. Never been punched in the face before, so I couldn't tell you. (laughs) Hoping to keep it that way. Mm Mm-hmm. But that's an interesting question, too. The logical thing for a person in his position would be to go see a doctor. And it makes me wonder what or who might be stopping him. Or has he been to a doctor? Fair point. Although it hasn't been mentioned. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Because clearly, Moon Knight, Mark Spector, there is some supernatural thing going on. So no doctor would be able to solve that. Yeah. But at least he does have enough self-awareness to know that, yeah, ankle restraints, red flag on a first date. Yeah. Well, I mean, depends. On a first date? No, no, no. He says he would bring her home eventually, not on a first date. He's not bringing her home on the first date. Stephen is not capable of bringing a woman home on the first date. Let's put it that way. I don't know if Stephen's capable of bringing a woman home at all at this point. Right. But eventually, if he does, an ankle restraint may or may not be a red flag. Depends on the person. You know what? I'm going to err on the side of caution when it comes to the ankle restraints. (laughs) I'm going to take them down. Maybe ease into that a little bit. Uh-huh. So back at his apartment, we find Stephen purposely keeping himself awake to try and uh, solve his own puzzle here of what's happening. Yeah. Where is he going? What is he doing? Uh-huh. And what is his fascination with Egyptian history? Yes, he is very interested in studying the Ennead. Yes. Now he's working in a museum, so it makes sense for him to be interested in what they are exhibiting there. So is it a chicken and egg situation? Did he work at the museum and then he got interested or he was interested? That's why he's working at the museum. I think he was interested. 
And that's why he's working at the museum because we're going to see Mark tell him later, stop looking. And my question is, for what? Is there something in that museum Stephen isn't fully aware that he's looking for? Or something within Egyptian history itself? Yeah, and that was my next question. Why is he working at that specific museum? Good point. There are many museums and many museums tend to have Egyptian statues and history and a section for Egypt. Right. So why this one? Right. What's there? What's being exhibited potentially? Mm -hmm. Or what's not being exhibited and kept somewhere else? Yeah. And they call particular attention to the Ennead uh, at the museum. This was a pantheon of uh, nine deities in Egyptian mythology that were worshipped at Heliopolis, which was a major religious center of ancient Egypt. Mm -hmm. So the Ennead consisted of nine gods, uh, the sun god Atum, his children Shu and Tefnut or Tefnut. Yeah, we're doing our best with these pronunciations, guys. Yes. If anyone is familiar with Egyptian history or is Egyptian and listening to us, please tell us if we're right or wrong. At Marvel Madams on Twitter and IG. Yep. Or email. Their children, Geb and Nut. And their children, Osiris, Isis, Set, and Nephthys. And the Ennead also sometimes included the sons of Osiris and Isis, Horus. Is it me or does this seem very incestual? Quite. And there was a lot of that in ancient Egypt, as there is in any place with hereditary monarchy. Yep. Gross. (laughs) Yeah, there is so much character and story potential to mine with these gods. I can't wait to see where they take it, which ones they focus on. It's going to be awesome. Yeah. But the problem with Stephen's strategy here is, no matter how many puzzles or books you have, you can't stay awake forever. True. Though I will say I'm envious of his ability to solve the Rubik's Cube. I've never been able to do that. So Stephen eventually falls asleep and wakes up in what I have just labeled strange place. (laughs) Strange, but beautiful. Yeah. And I love this. What a realistic reaction to waking up hurt somewhere you don't belong. Yeah, and also the jaw, really well done. That freaked me out. Yeah, that was bad. Yeah, I wonder if he can do that. Some people who have like either conditions like me, EDS, or just general like hypermobility can do that kind of shit with different joints. I wonder if he has that ability or if that was just makeup magic CGI. I don't know. I don't know, but but even if he can do it, I'm sure they've improved on it with cgi and that sound he was making that was awful (laughs) yeah and i think he handled himself very well here i get nervous just willingly going to a new place and like not knowing what the parking situation is you know (laughs) yeah i would have actually been happy to wake up at a place like that not with my jaw dislocated mind you but it was pretty you know, quaint little village. For a minute, I actually thought he walked into a Ren Faire. <laughs> yeah, this is a little too quaint for my liking. This is a little hot fuzzish, this community. <laughs> yeah, I'm saying from the outside. Once you walk in, that's a different story. Yeah. And now we hear the voice. 
the voice that really doesn't like Stephen. <laughs> yep. We get an interesting choice of words here. The voice wants Stephen to give Mark control of the body. Yeah. According to the voice, it almost seems like Stephen and Mark are like a pair of clothes that you can just change when you want to. Yeah, that word choice makes it seem like, quote, the body is just a vessel for something. Yeah, means to an end. Mm -hmm. And again, this music here, just on point, adding so much to all of this. Yeah. <laughs> and these people scare the hell out of me. These are sheep. Yeah, it's a cult. Yeah. Yeah, here comes Arthur, who is clearly the holy man. He is revered by these people. Mm -hmm. Yes. And touching him is also a big blessing. Ugh. No, no, I'm going to stay <laughs> minimum 10 feet away from that hair. Thank you very much. Uh-huh. Okay. I would be more worried about his walking stick. Did you take a look at it? Yeah, I think that's a little bit more than just an accessory. Yes, it's got the face of a crocodile. And we will get to the significance of that in a bit. Uh-huh. So Arthur declares his goal here to make Earth as much like heaven as possible. That makes me nervous. That says mass suicide right there. Yes, it does. Uh, I also want to know what his conception of heaven looks like. I'm not interested. I'm running away. Yeah, he's here to serve their goddess, Amit. And he has her power, at least a portion of her power in him. Uh-huh. And we get a live demonstration of that. Uh, yeah. And you know what? I actually do have a tattoo on each of my inner forearms. And for the next week, I am going to be super paranoid that they are moving somehow. <laughs> <laughs> well, you can make them move. Well, I mean, I have been scared in the past that I had like a spider on me or something and like forgot. Oh, it's just your own skin, Krista. Relax. But yeah, definitely going to be paranoid. Probably going to have a nightmare tonight that they're moving, squirming around on me. <laughs> I wonder if it would hurt because getting a tattoo is painful. Yeah, but if I saw my tattoos squiggling, that's the last thing I'd be thinking about. You'll certainly be in mental pain. Yeah, that's exactly it. So these scales that Arthur has on his arm, this is his way of measuring the person's soul. Right. And the head of the scales is, again, a face of a crocodile. Yes. And this represents the Egyptian goddess Amet, the devourer of the dead, which is what we're going to see happen to this old lady. Yes. So according to Egyptian history, Ameth is a demoness and a goddess, and she has a face of a crocodile, the torso of a lion, and the legs of a hippopotamus. And traditionally in Egyptian history, she is not someone who judges a soul. She simply takes the souls that have been judged. Yeah, and I mean a demoness and a goddess, I give her credit, that takes a lot of work-life balance. Yeah, and handling the physiology of the various different animal parts also takes something. Yeah, sure. And when a person's soul is judged to be impure, Emmett devours it. Thank you for the sound effect. You're welcome. 
It kind of makes me want to know what this old lady did. She's too young to be a secret Nazi. Well, she does mention that she's been good her whole life. But that can be subjective, right? You know, a lot of uber-religious people have a tendency of thinking they are very good and yet have no problem being absolute dicks to people around them if they don't believe in their faith or whatever. And how many people have killed in the name of religion and thought it was justified? For more on that, just see our Daredevil series, everyone. (laughs) Seasons one (laughs) and two. Yeah, so I don't believe her. Arthur may, but I don't. Of course not. She's about to be judged on whether she lives or dies. Of course she's lying. (laughs) I still want to know, though, what she did. Just out of curiosity. You know, there's something about this. Oh, she's a sweet looking little old lady. How many people did you poison? Tell us. Oh, I didn't think she was a sweet little old lady. I knew she was going to die the moment she walked up. No, just generally. I mean, we tend to think of, you know, old ladies and depending on the as cultural too. Old ladies. Yeah, wow. as as vulnerable and nice just because they're sweet little old ladies. And uh, mm-hmm. you and I certainly know that to not be true. <laughs> in, true, yes. In many cases. I once had an encounter with a lady who I knew, by the way, but she forgot who I was because she's old. She came in and I was sitting and she was trying to keep her bags up on a chair. And I helped lift a bag and keep it on the chair for her. And she snapped at me. I was like, well, fuck you, bitch. I was trying to be nice. Oh, I didn't know you met my Nana. That's nice. (laughs) You should have told me. Yeah, 10 minutes later, she recognized me and she was all smiles. So all these people here, too, we don't know where this place is. I'm wondering, is this like Arthur's headquarters? How long has he been here? Does he have some kind of supernatural hold on these people or is it or is it a garden variety kind of cult because they are awfully compliant yes they are and from reality we do know that you don't need to have any kind of supernatural hold to have people that compliant no in fact we've seen in the united states you don't need to have any intelligence or charisma whatsoever Mm -hmm. so yeah i mean i'm not sure about the supernatural aspect of his followers but I do think that this has been his headquarters or his base of operations for quite a while. Yeah, well, I can't help but wonder about a supernatural aspect because he definitely sucked out that woman's life energy and killed her. Yeah, I don't know if he did or if the walking stick did. Either way, there is woo-woo shit going on and I'm here for it. Yes, yes. And the reason I say that is because generally when someone walks with a walking stick, and they need to use their hands, they put it on their forearm. They don't put it on the other person's arm or hands when they're trying to do something. And we specifically see later on in the episode also when Arthur is meeting Stephen and judging him, he puts the walking stick on his forearm, not Mm -hmm. his own. You're right, like it's part of the ritual. Yes. So Stephen is trying to hide in this crowd, but... Arthur recognizes, not Stephen, but Mark. Yes, he knows what he looks like. He doesn't know his name. Yes, he knows the mercenary. Mm -hmm. And that the mercenary has a scarab. Yep. 
And Stephen is being very cooperative. Trying to be. Yeah, Stephen is. Mark, not so much. Yep. Well, maybe not Mark. We don't really know who is controlling this little game of keep away. Because the voice definitely doesn't want Arthur to have this scarab. True. But we do know later on the episode, Mark tells him that you need to stop fighting me. Yeah. So maybe the voice is kind of like like a mediator between the two. Well, we don't know if the voice is a good guy or a bad guy. We don't know what the motives are. I have a suspicion on who the voice is, but I'm going to keep that to myself for now. And I think it's a good guy, perhaps, maybe. This took me back to the mummy again with the friggin' scare. Please don't come to life. Please, stay in your little gold shell. I was waiting for it to start fluttering. No, 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 no. No. <laughs> I don't want to see anybody cutting things out of anybody's skin. No. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so Arthur's henchmen make a beeline here for Steven. And I love the way they use these flickers to show the change yeah. from Steven to Mark. Very well edited. And the whole pace of this entire sequence is fantastically done. Yeah, it's so cool that we don't see the action. Yeah, and just when we're like worried that, oh shit, what's he going to do? What's going to happen? And cut. Yeah, because this guy, Stephen cannot take care of himself. No, he's useless in a situation like this. Oh no, the idiot's back. <laughs> well, he might be able to give you the history on the scarab. But that's about it. Yeah, this poor guy, he's a fucking mess and he has to get roasted too by somebody he can't even see. <laughs> this His is own rough. mind. Yeah. <laughs> it's just a great building of suspense for the reveal at the end. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So we're on the run here. Steven still has the scarab, which is obviously key to something. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I'm with the voice. He really is a friggin' idiot because who steals a cupcake truck? Yeah, yeah, true. The worst possible vehicle. (laughs) (laughs) Well, it was unlocked. Beggars can't be choosers, right? Yeah, yeah, and it is absolutely hilarious. It is. I must say, though, I give credit to Arthur over here for ensuring that people have cupcakes, you know, keeping them happy. Cupcakes are yummy. And addictive. So there you go. Yes. Mm Mm-hmm. Compliance through cupcakes. (laughs) And I'm not going to lie, I was like dancing on my treadmill to wham here. This is amazing. Yeah. (laughs) Never would I have thought that we would be hearing George Michael in the MCU. Totally worked. Yep. This is one of the best vehicle chases I've ever seen. It is. And it's also intercut which is fantastic this mountain road freaked me the fuck out so now you have been on a road like this correct but you've never driven on one yourself right and i was sitting next to the driver who was driving like a maniac i was writing my will and testament as we were driving yeah i don't know which one is more stressful because i have been both driver and passenger on a road like this (laughs) Throughout the, what is it, four cross-country drives that we've done on various parts of California and Arizona, and most recently, 
going through the Great Smoky Mountains of Tennessee. Absolutely beautiful. But Jesus Christ, wear a diaper. You'll need it. (laughs) (laughs) And the icing on the proverbial cupcake here is this old lady giving him the finger. Yeah, that is fantastic. (laughs) The look on her face is priceless. It is. But I will say that through the sequence, the sequence is amazing. It's fantastically done. But I did feel like that the CGI was just a bit off. I guess you had to be really looking for it. I didn't notice. I wouldn't notice, though. Yeah, you wouldn't notice. And I don't know. There were a few moments which just felt like, oh, yeah, this is totally green screen. One of them was the lady flipping off Stephen, and the other was the dude jumping onto the truck. Yeah, I was too busy laughing to notice with the old lady. (laughs) (laughs) And also, finally, when the logs hit those dudes and they go flying off, that was, again, very fake, very CGI. Like, you could know that is absolutely CGI. And that is something that we don't end up noticing in the MCU. Because it's so seamlessly and fantastically done. This sort of broke that immersion just a bit. I'll give you that one a little bit with the trees. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I didn't see that coming though either. I was more taken aback by that. That's a a Bugs Bunny (laughs) shit right there. Exactly. (laughs) I think think Steven got an assist. Yeah, I think so too. Yes. The voice. And where are we at now? 25 movies? 26 MCU movies? And how many Disney Plus shows? Never seen a hero use a cupcake as a weapon before. True. Yeah. I was feeling bad. Like, you're wasting the cupcake. I just really, really wanted a fucking cupcake. (laughs) Paul Hollywood would definitely have something to say about this. Especially if the cupcakes were stodgy or claggy. And after eight seasons of Great British Baking Show, I still cannot remember season to season what claggy and stodgy mean. I was just going to ask you the same thing. <laughs> I forget every goddamn season. <laughs> and then, oh my God, when we flicker back from Mark to Stephen and the truck is backwards. Yeah, Ooh. yeah. Hot damn, did he just throw the gun? yeah but credit to steven here for dealing with these people chasing him and going through this you know winding road and then reversing to go straight again without breaking a sweat i mean he's sweating but you know yeah i didn't i really didn't know if he was going to end up off that cliff or not yeah there were real stakes absolutely yes and I think it was a blessing that the van stopped. Yeah. Yeah. I do give Stephen a lot of credit. Poor guy. I don't know what I'm doing. Yeah. <laughs> I wouldn't either. True. Yep. And I also would probably throw the gun rather than use it because I would have no idea what to do with a gun. Yeah, you'd probably shoot yourself in the process. Knowing me, yes. Yes, I would. <laughs> so just as those henchmen get taken out by uh, Acme Trees, Stephen wakes up in bed. (laughs) Yes. And oh, thank God it was all a dream. Not exactly, because uh, Nemo over there now has two fids. Yes, this actually made me end up feeling sympathy or like liking Mark, because clearly he's looking out for Stephen. 
in the smallest of ways. Because he got him a fish that actually had two fins? No, because chances are that Gus, the original fish, died because Mark was running around doing, you know, whatever he was doing. That's a point. But, I mean, Mark also has a vested interest in protecting Steven since they share a body. Yes, true. But a fish dying is not the end of the world per se, you know. And it's a small thing. It's like replacing the fish and getting Steven a date with a girl he's interested in. You know, it's the small things. Well, you're assuming Mark asked her out for Steven. We don't know that. Okay. We don't know what we're seeing. We don't know Uh what Mark's been doing and how often. We don't know how the hell Mark got them back to Steven's apartment because clearly Steven thought he just woke up because Mark took over. So we don't know how long it's been. But but from this, we can surmise that Mark knows all of Steven's tricks and has been avoiding them or, you know, covering the sand up and all of that to not let Steven know that he's been going around doing his 10,000 steps. That's the problem with taking those measures is because ultimately they are within your own psyche and you know how to outwit yourself because you are the one who is trying to outwit yourself. Correct. Yep. This show is like a giant Russian nesting doll of mystery. (laughs) And also, actually, now that I think about it, because Stephen has not been sleeping, there's a chance that he might have actually blacked out with Mark not taking over. Or he may just not remember asking her out because he's so sleep deprived. Yeah, well, there are some problems too with the issue of Mark, with the idea of Mark taking over. I want to save that though for more towards the end. I'm not sure who has more control here. Because too, all right, so Stephen lost two days. So, as Mm -hmm. you said, Mark came out to play for two days. (laughs) So, if Mark was out and about, I would argue he could be doing more. Why isn't he doing more for Stephen? Why isn't he taking steps to have Stephen stop looking for whatever he's looking for? Why isn't he getting him fired from the museum? Why isn't he helping him have a better life? Why isn't he taking him to the doctor, like a million things. Mark is more aware of what's going on. Mark knows all, presumably. Yes. But Mark doesn't have enough control to fully act. We haven't seen anything to show us that Mark does not have control because all the questions that you asked about why is Mark not letting Stephen, you know, get fired or go to the doctor and all of that, Maybe Mark wants him to be at the museum, have access to the museum for something. And he wouldn't want him to go to the dock so that he doesn't know, so that Stephen doesn't find out what's happening. Maybe, but I don't think Mark has control because at the end, we see him ask for it. He can't just take over. He has to convince Stephen to hand it over. While he's conscious. Yes. While Stephen is conscious, whereas once Stephen goes to sleep, Mark is able to take over because... Defenses are down. Yes, defenses are down. And so far, we've not seen Mark asking for permission in the night. In the night. In the dark. Sorry, every time she says that, guys, (laughs) it makes me think of the haunting. 
<laughs> it is so incredibly sad when the waiter confirms that it's Sunday. Yeah. Oh, he's just heartbroken. And terrified at the same time. Yeah, yeah. And then he says, you know what, I'm just going to have a steak, which for a vegan, that's, that, that goes to show where his mind is. Yeah, yeah, because you can get sick from that too if you've been a vegan for a while. Although I don't think he has to worry about that because I think Mark's been eating yeah. plenty of steak. Yep. And Stephen here, I mean, you see it crack a little bit here, but he's in major denial about what's happening. Yeah, he is. He is. But I think this was kind of his... I can't ignore this anymore moment. Um, I actually think he keeps ignoring it for a little bit longer. I think it's that phone call is what does the trick for uh -huh. him. Right. When that lady calls him Mark. Yeah. But before we get into that phone call, let's now hear a word from one of our partners whose services might come in especially handy if you're leading a double life. Indeed. Back in the days when I ran my own web design business, I only backed up my important data on an external hard drive. Oh, the follies of youth. So when my brother dropped the hard drive and I lost three years of my life, I was devastated. Is he still alive? Yes, but I considered burying him under the floor. Once I stopped crying, I realized I needed a more reliable backup system. Enter Backblaze, the set-it-and-forget-it cloud storage solution. For $7 a month, Backblaze protects your most important data from life's little curveballs, like clumsy siblings, rowdy kids and mischievous pets and with its simple interface and easy setup anyone can use it i'm certainly proof of that sign up now for a 15-day free trial using the link in our show notes which also helps support the marvelous madams backblaze when it comes to data they have your back so question for you and you know props again to the pr production design on this show what's with all the postcards yeah i have a theory about that it seems like an awful lot of postcards for a man with no friends and a dead-end job. Yes, I have a theory about that. <laughs> Mark is leaving him the postcards. For what purpose? Just for fun. For fun. Keeping him company. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> you think maybe it would make more sense that they're clues to something? Probably. And Stephen doesn't realize that. Or is Stephen buying these himself because he's a super lonely guy who would love to travel but can't? Possible. But I think Mark is leaving them for him. You desperately want to believe that. Yes, it would be so much fun. <laughs> um, I was going to scream if he gave that fish a Belgian chocolate. <laughs> I really thought he was going to. Uh -huh, yeah, even I thought so for a second. I was wondering, can, can fish eat chocolate? I get very upset with things like that on television. Like, I also get very mm -hmm. upset when people don't finish their goddamn food. Yes, I agree with that. Eat yep. it because I can't. <laughs> I did feel bad that all those chocolates fell down and the floor was quite dirty. Eh, five second rule. They're fine. I'll eat them. Yeah, looking at the state of that floor, no, no, not even one second. Not it's for me. Belgian chocolate. You say that after the hotel you selected over the weekend. Okay, that makes me sound trashy. But I did not know it was that bad. <laughs> and that's why I left within 24 hours. I was originally supposed to be there for, th for four days. Yes, Amy was the one wishing she was in a dream. 
over the weekend, unfortunately. Yes, and I did not sleep a wink, so I kind of felt where Stephen was coming from. I literally could not sleep for more than 20 minutes through the night. I watched Enola Holmes at four o'clock in the morning. (laughs) Did you also hide a car and an old Motorola Razor phone in a board? See, now that would involve going into the nooks and crannies of that hotel room, and I was not interested in doing that. Yeah, well, you're you're better off than Steven. Yes. On this old phone are a ton of missed calls from Layla and one from somebody named Duchamp. Yes, and from the comics, that seems like a certain character who is known as Frenchie. Well, then let me rephrase. Duchamp. <laughs> So question here, do you think Layla was monitoring that phone? Because it's awfully coincidental that she calls as soon as he turns it on. Maybe. Maybe she got a ping that it got that it was online. Exactly. So I'm wondering, all those missed calls, has Mark been using this phone when he's out and about and been ignoring her calls all this time? Maybe. Maybe. Because you won't get a missed call. If the phone is off. Exactly. Or he just forgot about the phone up there, which I doubt. It was charging. Yeah. And poor Steven is so confused here. He doesn't know who she is. He doesn't know who Mark is. Yes. But she has been worried for months. Yeah. So that goes to show that this isn't like a short term thing. Mark has been playing around for months. Yeah. But we also don't know how long Stephen has been living this life. You know what I'm saying? We can't assume this psychotic break was concurrent with Mark falling off the face of the earth. Yeah, I'm not saying that. Okay. I'm saying Mark has been around longer than Stephen has. Oh, yeah. Yeah, Mark is the original person. That we know. And uh, Layla also doesn't know why he's speaking with a British accent. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, she's kind of losing it at him. Well, what's interesting is that if that were me, if I were Layla, I would assume somebody else answered the phone. But you'd recognize the voice, right? But he's speaking with a British accent. But you recognize someone's voice, irrespective of accent. Not necessarily. There are some Brits who, when they're speaking with an American accent, sound quite a bit different. Like if you've never heard them do it before, if you were listening blind, you might not know who it is. Mm Mm-hmm. And I think this is the big turning point for Stephen. Being called Mark, hearing her voice seems to like trigger something. Yeah, that's when he realizes that it's not just dreams. Yeah. And it can't be a coincidence that the voice is telling him to let Mark take control and then someone is calling and asking for Mark. This is so cool when they're talking to each other through the mirror. Yeah, it is. At this point, they're not really conversing. They're kind of trying to break that barrier between the two personalities. Yeah, Mark is fully talking to Stephen, but Stephen isn't Mm -hmm. fully registering it quite yet. Yeah. And, you know, the flickering lights doesn't exactly help. Yeah, and we have the building here starting to flicker and shake, but I'm like, oh, is this real or is this in Stephen's mind? Yeah, I was not sure too. And is this a huge mummified creature or an old lady? Well, it's an old lady. But old ladies get a bad rap in this show, aren't they? (laughs) (laughs) 
I will say she was scared of Stephen quite a bit. I would be too in her position. He's nuts. Yeah, he is. He's losing his mind. And it's not his fault. And we absolutely feel sorry for him. He is very sympathetic. But in her position, she doesn't know what's going on. We barely know what's going on. He doesn't know. When you are Mm -hmm. not in control like that, yeah, yeah, people are going to be scared, especially a vulnerable old woman. Of course, yes. I'm not blaming her. No. Although, I don't know, there was something weird about it. She sounded like a teenage girl. Like her voice, she sounded so young, that woman. It was like incongruous (laughs) to my ear. Okay. Here's a question. What if she knew Mark? And that's why she was more afraid. God damn it, Amy. (laughs) Right. We can't assume that people are seeing Stephen. Mm -hmm. (sighs) We already know fish store lady met Mark. Right. You know, that makes it sound like she is some kind of fishmonger, like she is selling consumable fish to eat. I need another word other than fish store. (laughs) Aquarium (laughs) shop. I don't know. Whatever works. So just when that crazy looking creature confronts Stephen, bam, back on the bus. Yep. And he startles everyone on the bus when he wakes up. Well, yeah. Never, ever, ever. Go to sleep on public transportation, people, for your own safety and everyone else's. Yep. Well, in this case, he wasn't asleep, was he? I got the feeling that he could actually hear the chanting we were hearing. Or he could just be looking around because he's disoriented. One minute he was cowering in the elevator, and the next he's in the bus. Maybe. Maybe. Not only on the bus, but seeing Arthur with him on the bus. Well, that he saw after he got off. Yeah. So this security guy, um, yeah, so his trademark personality trait is that he watches otter videos. This guy wants to fuck an otter, right? Why would you go there? Look at him. Why would you go there? Look at him. Come on. Watch it. Come on. Otter videos all day? Nope. Nope. That guy. Otters are cute. No. Okay. No. Let's not. No. Arthur needs to take care of this guy. (laughs) If he puts those scales on his arms... That forearm, it's not going to show up red. She's going to say otter fucker on it. And he's going to be gone. What you're doing right now is slander. That guy's a douche. That's fine with me. He's a douche, sure. But let's not make him into bestiality, shall we? (laughs) With absolutely no evidence. And I don't want to think about that. So Arthur's henchmen are lurking here throughout the museum. And we get a glimpse on the wall here of Emmet the goddess. Yes, we do see her pillar. So her role back in ancient Egypt, kind of like a minority report kind of deal. She punished people before they did wrong. Mm -hmm. Which is similar to the actual Egyptian history that we know of her. Yeah. But in this case, they've combined the two gods who, one who judges and one who devours and made her essentially judge and executioner right so she is all knowing she's past present and future and oh Mm -hmm. i don't like this this is some tva bullshit right here true yeah she is taking away people's potential to change people's potential to make choices this is you know the whole concept of free will versus chaos right and there is something to be said for the balancing of life, of energies, in order to know happiness, to know good, 
you also have to know the opposite of that. Yes, that's true. There needs to be darkness in order to see light. Yeah, quite often it's doing wrong or being the victim of wrongdoing that allows us to grow, to change, to take those Mm -hmm. steps, you know? So in doing this, I get what Arthur's saying here, that you can stop so much horror in the world, but this doesn't work any better. Yeah, and in order to progress, we need to have difficulties. I'm not saying people should die in order for progress to happen in an ideal world that would not happen, but that's unfortunately the way the world works. Yeah. It makes me wonder if Arthur is a Mobius type figure, you know? Brainwashed? Maybe. I don't know if brainwashed is the right word because we don't know how much he's impacted supernaturally too. He's definitely a true believer. Yes. Like Mobius was. So I'm wondering if this is a matter of he's misguided. He doesn't know the whole truth, that kind of thing. Perhaps. But first off, I would not say that Mobius was a true believer. Mobius was brainwashed. All of them at the TVA were brainwashed. Brainwashed into being true believers. Right. And it was the fact that Mobius was curious that made the difference and he started questioning things. A true believer would not. And with Arthur... I don't know. I mean, we'll have to wait and watch. But let's be honest, keeping the supernatural aside, there are plenty of people who have thought the way he does. Sure. I'm looking forward to getting more of his backstory. Sure. Yeah. So as Arthur is explaining Amit to Stephen, this is where Arthur weighs Stephen's soul. With interesting results. Yeah, we don't see the result. I don't know if there would have been one. This is kind of like the top at the end of Inception. Uh Uh-huh. Leave it open to interpretation. Yeah, I don't think the scales would have settled. I think Mm -hmm. that was the point, to see them in this constant flux. And that's where Arthur says, there's chaos in you. Right. And also, with something like this, multiple personalities, which is the soul? Are both of them the soul? Mm-hmm. It's a really good point. And I think what the show is telling us here is that this is a very gray character that even this yeah. supernatural presence can't decide if he's good or evil. Mm-hmm. So case closed, right? Podcast over. Why bother? We don't know. <laughs> and we also don't know what is what does Amit consider to be a good thing or a bad thing? Is murder OK? Because clearly she has no problem killing people. Yeah, the ancient Egyptians definitely had their own moral codes. Right. So what is considered good and bad? So what is the criteria for judgment? We don't know. Well, I will say this. Anyone who has ever done inventory in retail should be canonized and made a fucking saint because it is one of the most (laughs) soul-sucking jobs a person can do. Yeah, it is incredibly boring. Yes, this alone would drive someone to madness. Mm -hmm. And I love the atmosphere of the museum at night. And it made me think of another movie that's a lot of fun. Again, just the first one, really. Night at the Museum. Yes. Yeah, that was fun. That was a fun movie. Yeah. I've seen all of them, actually. Yes, I have too. I only really remember the first one. Uh Uh-huh. I remember thinking, holy shit, how did Robin Williams never play Teddy Roosevelt in the biopic? Because he's perfect. Yeah, yeah. 
And now it's too late. R.I.P. And this is another great suspenseful sequence. Stephen here alone with the creatures slowly arriving. So question. Yeah. Was the creature real? Damn it. I don't know now. I was going to say yes. Uh Uh-huh. I think it is. But why did the janitor not react? Damn it, I didn't catch that. Oh, man. Well, here's the other question. Okay, is it both? Is it that only Stephen can see it because of the supernatural force that's within him? Mm Mm-hmm. So it's real, but not real? Yeah, it's real if you have the power inside you to see it. Kind of like, um, think about Thestrals in Harry Potter. How only certain kids could see them. Like, you have to possess a certain something in order to Uh see it. Or it's like not of our world kind of thing. Mm -hmm. And because the body is capable of seeing it, then Stephen can too. Because think of it this way. If it was behind the old lady too, get into the elevator, she didn't react either. Right, but was that real? That was very similar to the Moon Knight costume. So was that Stephen's psyche portraying Moon Knight as the boogeyman? I don't know. Because that seemed more like a break than this one did. Yes, it did. This seemed more realistic. Yeah, despite the fact that it was some kind of hellhound. Yeah, and I just love the way they're still able to infuse some comedy here. Stephen Grant of the gift shop. Give me the scarab and you won't be torn apart. Yeah. And this is where Stephen finally gives in. And I think he's actually stronger than we think because Mark has to ask him for control. Yes, he's awake, but we're going to talk more about DID as the weeks go by. The producers actually hired a psychiatrist as a technical consultant for this. So you're going to get a lot more into it. And we'll talk about, yes, you know, what DID looks like in real life, what can cause a split, what different, what purposes different altars serve for each other. Mm-hmm. But I think Steven is a little stronger than we think he is. Perhaps. Yeah. He may be mentally stronger, but not physically stronger. Definitely not. So it's Mark who finally convinces him. Let me save us. Yep. And then he's taken over by these strips of cloth. Yeah. Oh, man. What a reveal. Yeah. Yeah. It looks amazing. This is the best character reveal I can remember in some time. Is it? Yeah. That's up there with uh, Doctor Strange for me. Uh Uh-huh. Right. When he's finally wearing the cloak. Yeah. Right. And that big musical sting. Yeah, the reveal was fantastic. And I don't know about the history when Moon Knight was created, but considering the Egyptian history and his costume, as we know, with strips of cloth, it's like he's a mummy. Yeah. Yeah. I've always thought mummies were so goddamn cool. (laughs) And I would be remiss if I didn't mention Arnold Vosloo did a very nice job with him, Hotep, and the mummy. Mm -hmm. Right. All right, so that is it for the premiere here of Moon Knight. I think by next week, we're going to need to mummify ourselves just to keep our brains in our fucking heads. (laughs) Yeah, let's see what happens. I'm curious. We do have some updates for you guys. So as of today, April 4th, we are 
fully launched on Patreon, guys. Our first Marvelish movie is out today. Yes. And if you haven't joined our Patreon yet, do it. I promise you, the first movie is amazing. <laughs> yes, we certainly had a lot of fun with uh, Crimson Peak. There were a lot of crimson tears involved, for me especially. <laughs> so become a member of the Sanctum Sanctorum today, guys, and you will have full access to that and all Marvelous movies to come. And on that note, we want to shout out our very first patrons. Thank you, Joanne Klimowitz. And Olive the Hedgehog. I love that name. Amy Reap. We're always happy to have another Amy. <laughs> yep. And lastly, our first male patron, a man who we are very proud to call friend of the show, Mr. Josh Newton, co-host of the Tabletop Journeys podcast. Guys, if you're into D&D or role-playing games at all, go listen to Josh, Lewanika, and Glenn. Yes, their content is absolutely fantastic. All right, guys. And lastly, so at the end of these six episodes of Moon Knight, we are going to be doing another listener roundtable, just like we did for Loki last summer. Right. And there are only three slots available. Yes. One has been taken. So only three slots left, people. Which means... Yes. Over these next six weeks, come and chat with us on Twitter and Instagram at Marvel Madams. Make your theories... Your wild speculations make your presence known to us. Yes, and you can even fangirl with us. Yeah, I mean, come on. You know that shirt's going to be coming off eventually. Everybody saw Oscar Isaac training for this show. So there's that too, on top of the fact that the show's amazing. Of course your mind would go there. Of course it would. Oh well, yeah. However, Mr. H Mr. Hawk, please remain fully clothed. <laughs> <laughs> And you say, I'm the one who's desperate. You said fangirl. So yes, that's where my mind went. Uh-huh. All right, everybody. Thanks to all you madams for joining us today. I'm Madam Chris. And I'm Madam Amy. Join us next week for episode two of Moon Knight. Reinforce those tinfoil hats, everybody. Two layers. Yeah, yeah. Otherwise, you're going to have to tell your mind. Latest gators. I knew it was coming, but it didn't make it hurt any less. <laughs> and for more content and our blog, check out our website, themarvelousmadams.com, where infinity stones are a girl's best friend. Ooh, gators, laters, gators, crocodile. You're reaching. Stop it. Stop it. I'm putting my foot down. It can't be a coincidence. Come on. Oh my God. Later gator is something people say all the time. He just adds laters gators. It's some like three or three and four year olds say to people. Sure. But why add that in the show? I'm pulling you back. That's why. This is why. <laughs> this is why they do it. You're falling for it. God damn it. <laughs>